Let us pray. Most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening. Thankful for the grace you have shown to each and every one of us assembled here. We have gathered to hear a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of perceiving anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will open our minds, cause us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We're in Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 through 22. We've divided, of course, the Red Sea by the Lord here. So he reads, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. Now progressively, the Holy Spirit through Moses has been recounting for us the various events that lead up to the major theme of Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 31, which is the destruction of the Egyptian army. Now the previous section, that is verses 19 through 20, was concerned with the separation of the Israelites from the Egyptians through the pillar of cloud, that gave light in the camp of the Israelite beds, darkness, to the camp of the Egyptian army. Now in this present section, which is the thought to the last event that led to the destruction of the Egyptians, we have an account of the Lord dividing the Red Sea, leaving a dry path for Israel to continue with their travels. Now, so the narrative involves really a prelude to God's action, which is Moses' symbolic act of stretching his hand and so his staff over the sea. Now, this is followed by a description of the manner in which the Lord accomplished the miracle using a strong wind to drive the waters of the sea leading to three results of emergence of dry land, dividing of the uh, waters, and Israel's entrance or movement into the middle of the sea. Now what we have described is actually uh, summarize the passage that we are about to consider. However, the narrative is intended to convey a general Sense that the Lord, through Moses' symbolic act, demonstrated his power to divide the sea, providing a dry ground for Israel to continue with their travels. Now, the Holy Spirit, no doubt, wants the reader to recognize the power of God and his control over creation in the narrative that we're about to consider. Now, even before we get to the detail, study of the passage, the Holy Spirit hints on God's power when the wind used to drive the sea here is described as strong east wind. Now this should remind us of God's power that he commands such wind to accomplish his purpose. So anyway, the hint of God's power and his sovereign control of all creation should be recognized in dealing with the narrative of this section. Of course, it is possible for a teacher of this section to retell the story of this section in a colorful manner, as some can do. But in doing so, 
may miss the message or the messages the Holy Spirit wants believers to garnish from the narrative of these two verses. Now the Holy Spirit informs us that the Old Testament scripture is given to teach us or to provide encouragement to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we read in Romans chapter four, uh, 15 verse 4. Romans 15 verse 4. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 reads, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So in keeping with the truth of this passage of Romans chapter uh, 15, it, it will be an incomplete study if the passage that we have here, if, on, uh, if the only thing one gets from the passage of Exodus 14, verses 21 through 22, is the fact that God divided the Red Sea to permit Israel to continue their travels. Therefore, it is important that we derive a message the Holy Spirit intends for us to learn by reading the narrative of our passage of study. Now, pursuing then to this goal, we derive a message that will be applicable to you. But before I state the message, we should remember that the situation of the Israelites at the time of this narrative is that they were facing a humanly insurmountable problem. They were pursued by the Egyptians and they faced the Red Sea so that they were hemmed in, so to say, in the front, the sea, at the back, the pursuing army. So they faced a problem that from human perspective is no doubt uh, totally insurmountable. Therefore, there was only one way out of this uh, one way for their problem to be solved. The solution must come from God and requires demonstration of his power in a miraculous way. So based on this context and what we have in the passage of our story, we believe then that a message the Holy Spirit wants you to hear and believe is this. That the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle on your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. Again, that the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle on your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. It is this message that we will seek to focus your attention as we consider the details of the narrative before us. In other words, as we consider the narrative of our passage, we will link it or its details to the message that we have stated. Anyway, there are three propositions we will consider to enable us to expand the message that we have stated. That is, again, the message that the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle on your uh, way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. Now, I do not know what you may be facing this evening or what you may face tomorrow, but the message of the Holy Spirit to you is that God you worship, that is, of course, if indeed you have a relationship with the true God of the universe, the creator, the omnipotent God, that he can remove any kind of obstacle that you may be facing that seems to be challenging his plan for you. And so the first proposition is that God may, depending on on what the problem is, 
used a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. Again, the first proposition. God may, depending on what the problem is, use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. In other words, God may precede his action of dealing with your problem by moving a human being to act in a manner that he only decides. But before we explore this proposition based on our passage, we should observe that God kept the Egyptians in darkness while he worked out his plan through Moses for Israel. Now we mean that the darkness that separated the Egyptians from going near the Israelites reported in Exodus 14 verse 20 that we studied last week. So meant that they did not know about the action of God and that will solve the problem the Israelites faced of how to escape the onslaught of the Egyptians because they had their facing here the Red Sea in their front and and that kept them from continuing their travels until sometime after God had finished his miraculous work about dividing the Red Sea. Now this observation should cause you to recognize that unbelievers will not know how and when God works out the problem you face. You yourself may not even know how the Lord is working out your problem, but you can be assured that He is working behind the scenes, the scenes of history, to remove all impediments to your fulfilling His plan for you. So anyway, the human author tells us that something was taking place on the side of the Israelites where the pillar of cloud provided light. Now this he did by using a Hebrew particle that is often translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used either to indicate that what is recorded beginning in verse 21 follow sequentially with the event of the pillar of cloud moving to the back of the camp of the Israelites so that he provided light for them while darkness for the Egyptians. With the meaning then, then, that the Hebrew particle could then be translated then. Or, another possibility, is that the particle is used to introduce a new topic that involves God's action as it related to Red Sea, as well as, as, of course, as we will not really at the appropriate time. In which case, the Hebrew particle may be translated something like, now, then. That's all. Here, really, we may, be, we may have a case where both interpretations are intended by the Holy Spirit. That is, then, that we should recognize that a description of a new event is being introduced, but the new event is sequential to what preceded in the last verse where the pillar of cloud brought light on the side of the camp of the Israelites and darkness on the side of the camp of the uh, Egyptian army. So be that as it may, our first proposition again is God may, depending on what the problem is, use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. That proposition is based on the first clause of Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. And they look at it again. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Now notice what I say the proposition that God may, depending on what the problem is, use 
a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. So how does that work out with this when I read that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea? See, the clause describes Moses' obedience to God's instruction to him. See, the Lord had commanded him to stretch his staff over the sea by stretching out his hand as we read in Exodus chapter 14 verse 16. Exodus chapter 14 verse 16 reads, Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now Moses stretching of his hand with his staff in it over, uh, over the sea is certainly a human agent acting before God actually acted on behalf of the Israelites. See, when Moses stretched his hand over the sea, that was a symbolic act that in and of itself does not produce any miracle until God acts. Nonetheless, the symbolic action of Moses is in keeping with a pattern of God using human agent's action before acting. Now see, before the plague of the hell, Moses acted symbolically by raising his son with his staff in it towards the sky. Before the Lord brought the hell storm, as we read in Exodus chapter 9, verses 22 through 23. Exodus chapter 9 verses 22 through 23. It is, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that hell will fall all over Egypt, on man and animal, and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his, hand, uh, his staff, Toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hell, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Now the plague of locusts involved Moses stretching his hand symbolically over the land of Egypt, as we read in Exodus chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Exodus chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 reads, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hell. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. Now, the same symbolic act of Moses stretching his hand toward the sky occurred before the Lord brought the plague of darkness. See in Exodus 10, look at verses 21 and 22. It is. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. Thus we get the idea then that God used symbolic acts of his human agent to perform his miracle. Now Moses was not the only human agent that acted before God performed his miracle. Now Abraham 
acted in prayer before God healed. When Abimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife, God inflicted punishment on him and his household. Now this punishment was removed after Abraham prayed for him as we read in Genesis chapter 20 verses 17 and 18. Genesis chapter 20 verses 17 and 18 and hold on to that chapter 20 it is then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech his wife and his slave girl so they could have children again for the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife Sarah. So Abraham prayed because God had instructed Abimelech to go to Abraham to pray for him for his healing. As we read in that, uh, Genesis 20, look at verse 7. Verse 7 reads, Now, Return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So God could have healed Abimelech without Abraham's prayer, since he appeared to him in a dream. Now, I mean... God could have informed the king that once he returned Sarah, he will be healed. But that was not the case. Now, one reason for demanding Abimelech to uh, request prayer from Abraham is to indicate that God acts when a human agent acts in obedience to his instruction. Of course, another reason though is to demonstrate that Abraham was a prophet. So that's a case where a human agent has to act before God actually acts. Now, the priests of Israel during the Exodus acted by stepping in faith to the water of Jordan so that God acted by dividing the, uh, the river so that the Israelites could cross on dry land as recorded for us in Joshua chapter 3 verses 13 through 16. Joshua chapter 3 verses 13 through 16. Joshua chapter 3 begin of verse 13 it reads and as soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan its waters Flowing down streams will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zeretan. While the water flowing down to the 
Sea of the Araba, that the, the, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now here is the thing. God could have just said, go, dear stand on the water move. He didn't do that. He said, let the priests, let them step on that water at the edge. And some, he will perform a miracle. So we see that there are times God, as I'm going to keep demonstrating to you, he may, depending on what it takes, will require a human being to act before he will do whatever he wants to do for you. Now, Prophet Elijah acted by striking the Jordan with his cloak. And God divided the, the river so that he and Elisha could cross on dry ground as we read in Second Kings chapter 2 verses 7 through 8. Second Kings chapter 2 verses 7 through 8. And hold on to Second Kings. I'm going to take uh, maybe four more passages out of Second Kings. Second Kings chapter two, verse seven reads: Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, the water did not divide by itself. God did it. Of course, we do not have any uh, record of the Lord uh, instructing Elijah to take the action recorded here that resulted in the dividing of the Jordan by God. However, since the prophet was in a special relationship with God and God communicated to him to cause him, you know, God must have communicated to him to act. So we since he, uh, God communicates to him, we, although it's not stated here, we can safely assume that the Lord somehow communicated to the prophet, or to him, to strike the Jordan with his cloak, so that the Lord will divide it. In other words, it is unlikely that the prophet would have acted without God moving him to act. The way that he did. He didn't just come up on his own and decide, I'm just take my clothes and hit the water and it will divide. No. We'll say that God must have communicated to him, although it's not recorded for us here. Now, his action, what he did, was then copied by his underling, or one who studied him in this case, his, who was going to take over, Elisha. So, Prophet Elisha copied. Uh, what Elijah did after the Lord removed Elijah. As we read it, still in that second Kings, chapter 2, look at verses 13 and 14. Second Kings, chapter 2, verse 13 reads, He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, he divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Now, see, Elisha's question, where now is the Lord, God of Elijah? 
is to be understood as his way of saying that the God of Elijah that performed the miracles of dividing the Jordan should now do so or do the same for him. That's why he say, where now is the Lord God of Elijah? In other words, God, you did that. Now, I'm following his footsteps since you've called me to replace him. Now, do the same thing for me. And of course, he did. So, in effect, all we're saying is that he followed the leading of Elijah, who, as we stated previously, was moved by God in a way not revealed to us to strike the Jordan with his cloak or mantle. Of course, God did the miracle of dividing the Jordan for Elisha, probably to confirm that his request to prophet Elijah was granted. I'm referring to his request. He wanted the power of Elijah to rest upon him. Not just the power. He said, double of it. And the double of it. And his request is recorded in Second Kings chapter 2 that you have. Look at verses 9 and 10. Second Kings chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 reads, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? One of the rare cases, Elijah was told clearly, the Lord is about to take you out of this planet. And so he could say that. So he says, again, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, You have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, not. Now, of course, if you read the life of uh, Prophet Elisha, you find that I believe he doubled the number of miracles that Elijah did, ensuring that double portion was granted to him. Anyway, the point that God may use him, a human agent's action, before acting in a miraculous manner, is demonstrated during the ministry of Elisha. Now, when Naaman came for him to be healed of leprosy, the prophet gave him instructions of what to do, which is to wash himself in the Jordan, as stated in Second Kings chapter five, verse ten. Second Kings chapter five, verse ten. Second Kings chapter 5 verse 10. He reads, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now there's no record as to the reason. Prophet uh, Elisha gave this instruction that requires Naaman to act before God will perform his miracle of healing him of his leprosy. Again, we contend that God must have communicated to his prophet in a way not recorded for us in the text. For it will be, or it will have been presumptuous on the part of the prophet to act independent of God. So it must have been that God somehow communicated to Elisha the instruction he gave to Naaman that required him dipping himself seven times in the Jordan River. 
And Naaman was infuriated because he did not see any connection between his healing and dipping himself in the Jordan. In other words, as he expressed, he thought the prophet would just come down there and say, Okay, do this and you can't. Or speak a word. But then, of course, uh, being a general, he's used to having his way. I mean, the human arrogance. And so, Elisha didn't even talk to him directly. And he must have felt humiliated. And to add injury, I mean, so to injury, he decided, he said, you go wash in the water. And that was too much for the uh, general. And so, he was almost ready to go home. But, Kuhe prevailed, as they say, his other soldiers, his other officers, asked him to do what the prophet said. And that is what we read in, still in Second Kings chapter 5, look at verses 13 and 14. It reads, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now, so, it was not the prophet that healed Naaman. It wasn't the prophet. But God, using the action commanded to Naaman by his prophet. That is what we're trying to demonstrate to you. The proposition that I'm going to recite again. So, with these examples I've shown you, should no doubt then tell you the validity of the first proposition, which again is that God may, depending on what the problem is, use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf that is based on the first clause that we are studying in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Again it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. So you could read that and just say, oh Yeah, he stretched his hand. There's the, there is a principle. There is a lesson. And that lesson is what I have given in form of proposition. To cause you to know as a believer that God may use human agent in order to bring about whatever it is he wants to do for you. So the first proposition that we have stated should cause us then to recognize in general that God has included in his plan prayer as an act from a human agent that will take place before God acts. Not necessarily in the performance of a miracle but in his healing, which could be healing in different ways, all other things that he can do for us in general ways. Now a good example of this point is Job and his, uh, and his three friends. Now according to God's evaluation of the interaction uh, between Job and his three friends during his ordeal of suffering. He charged, God charged his three friends of misrepresenting him and so he was angry with them. God said, you have misrepresented me. This we know from Job chapter 42 verses 7 through 9. Job 
Job chapter 42. Look at verses nine through, I mean 7 through 9. It reads, After the Lord has said these things to Job, He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. Now they're not sacrificing to uh, Job, they're sacrificing to God, but on behalf before Job, dear. He said, My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nehemiahite, did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, casual reading of the book of Job without this section from the Lord will imply that his three friends were correct in what they said about God, I mean about Job. But God said for the most part they were wrong. Now God said his friends said things that were not true of him. Now if one is not careful, it will appear that everything these three friends said about God was wrong. But that is not what God meant. The most, most things they said about God is correct, but they, they misread one thing. Now, Job's friends said that what he suffered resulted from God's punishment for his sins. So that's what they say. You're suffering because of God's punishment for your sins. Well, Job maintained that that was not the case. See, that's why I say sometimes, it's difficult for another human being to actually tell you you're suffering for your sinful conduct. Unless they saw you doing something sinful, and then when you begin to suffer, then they can say, yeah. But if they didn't see you, they can't really say that. They don't know. They may say, it is possible that you're suffering because of some hidden sin or some sin in the past. You can't be certain. Again, like I say, unless you are a personal witness to a failure of another believer, you cannot say that. That was what was wrong here. His friend said, oh no, Job, everything you are suffering is because you sinned. You have some secret sin that you didn't let us know. Anyway, so that's what uh, God is saying here, that they were uh, wrong. So what we are saying is that what the friend said about God that was wrong again is that God was punishing Job for his sins, which is not true since we know that Job was being tested to prove his faithfulness. See, they didn't know that. Job didn't know that either. To test his faithfulness. They only saw him... I mean, they are right that when we suffer most time, we speak of our sin. So that's what they assumed. It's just that they didn't know all the facts in this particular case. Now because, uh, I mean, of course, uh, Job himself was wrong also in questioning God's justice. But he repented of his failure when God confronted him. Because when he was suffering all that, he, he was in his face saying, Where's your justice, God? Really? And God said, Okay. You want to ask about my justice? 
fired with him a couple, I mean, series of questions in which as soon as he did that, Job put his mouth, covered his mouth and said, Ooh, I've spoken too much. Because now God is showing him some facts that he never thought about. So, in any case, because of his friend's failure, God instructed Job, uh, I mean, instructed him to go to Job to pray for them to avert his anger towards them. This they did, as we now can read, look at that Job 42, look at verse 10. Verse 10, verse 10 reads, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again, and gave him twice as much as he had before. Because his friends, God's anger was removed from them. So, God could have withdrawn his anger from Job's friends without Job's prayer. But he included Job's prayer as what must take place before he withdrew his anger towards them. Showing that God often uses a human agent's action before acting. That is why one of the reasons we pray. Prayer is a part of God's plan. Any prayer that is to be answered by God on behalf of another person is because that prayer has already been included as part of God's plan in serving whatever it is. That's why we never know, we just pray. If your prayer is part of what God said it must happen before he does something, unless you pray, nothing is going to take place. So this is why, again, I say, we pray. We don't know. He must have included your prayer for whatever it is that he wants to do for another believer. So, this brings us again then to the second proposition then that we have derived, that is derived from Exodus 14, verses 21 through 22. Again, before we state it, let me refresh your mind about the message of this section, which again is this. The Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling His plan for you. So that brings me to my second proposition. The second proposition is that God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. What this means is that God who is in control of his creation may, if necessary, overrule the function of created beings or things to solve your problem so long as you remain obedient to his word. We mean that God is not inclined to solve your problem when you live in disobedience to his word. Now that's one of the things that I think, you know, this whole thing uh, preachers will go overboard as they say. They say, pray, pray, pray. No, teach people about living the right way first. You know, you cannot be praying to God when you're disobeying Him. When you're living the way you choose, and then you get into trouble. You think, you know, it's not a decision that you can go to the office and pr- they prescribe something for you. It's not that way. You got to have a relationship with Him. You got to be sure that you're living in obedience uh, to His word. So, if you do so, then what we're saying is that He will solve your problem by overruling creation if necessary. Now, we reference this concept of obedience because Moses obeyed God's command before He acted on behalf of Israel. Now, remember that we indicated the Lord had commanded Moses to stretch his hand over the sea. This he did as in the first clause of 
Exodus 14 verse 21 we're starting because it says then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. It is because Moses was obedient agent of God that he acted as stated next in our verse in the second clause of Exodus 14 verse 21 where it says and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Now it is our assertion that the second clause of Exodus 14:21 states what results from Moses' obedience of symbolically stretching his hand over the sea because of that conjunction and that begin the clause because it say, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Now the the word and that word and is uh, usually is translated from a Greek word uh, that uh, in many cases it can be translated and alright. However, it has other usages. For example, it may be used as a marker of reason or result with the meaning therefore or so that, as it is used in warning Israel to keep away from idolatry since they did not see any form of God. That, should, that will lead them to try to represent him when he spoke to them in Mount Sinai, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. Put your marker there, although I'm going to go to one passage and I come right back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 15 reads, You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourself very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman. So it is in the sense of conveying results of obedience to God's instruction that our Hebrew particle is used in the second clause of Exodus 14.21 that we're studying. Now it should not really be difficult to accept our interpretation because the scripture states variously the connection between obedience to the word of God and God acting for the believer. Now God restated his promises to, Israel, to Abraham to his son Isaac because of Abraham's obedience as we read in Genesis chapter 26 verse 5. I mean actually verses 4 and 5. Genesis chapter 26 verses 4 and 5 it is I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and get my requirements, my commandments, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. See, that's why he said, because Abraham did that, I'm going to bless you, his son. Now, God promises mercy and compassion to Israel if they obeyed his word to them, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. 
నేర్చుకున్నామి chapter 13 verse 17 and 18 it is none of these condemned things shall be found in your hands so that the lord will turn from his fierce anger he will show you mercy have compassion on you and increase your numbers as he promised on oath to your forefathers because the lord your god uh, i mean because you obey the lord your god keeping all his commands that i'm giving you today and i'm doing what is right in, and and doing what is right in his eyes so we are sure of our answer prayer too because of obedience to god's word in first john chapter 3 verse 22 first john chapter 3 verse 22 if we say it is first john chapter 3 verse 22 reads and receive from him anything we ask look at the reason because we obey his commands and do what pleases him doesn't although no english version reflected the interpretation that we have given is really it's not difficult then to accept the interpretation that the hebrew particle translated and in the second clause of exodus 14 verse 21 should be translated therefore or and so because of the explanation that we have given that when there's obedience god acts so in any case god acted following moses obedience in that he acted on the sea as stated in the sentence of exodus 14 verse 21 that was studied he said all that night the lord drove the sea back Now the phrase all that night suggests that some Israelites might have been observing what was taking place in front of them while others might be too sleepy to notice what was going on. Now it is possible that most of the adults were those who remained awake to observe what was going on. since adults have hard time sleeping on when they are under stress children differently they just fall asleep now another thing that the phrase all night uh, all that night that we we'll, uh, we'll know about it is that the lord might have intentionally acted slowly about his action on the sea since the one who spoke his word and the world or the universe it came into existence could have instantly divided the sea he could have done that so the father he uh, did not do so meant that he intended to cause israel to see his power displayed in a way that is unforgettable in other words the idea watching the wind coming and gradually the water keep dividing they just keep watching to see god display his power so so the father he did so is simply as i'm saying to display his power so anyway there is more to this sentence which we'll consider in our next study meanwhile let me remind you the second proposition that we're considering which is that god will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem now the overall message again is that the lord is powerful so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you heavenly father we are thankful for the study of your word we pray that god the holy spirit will continue to cause us to know what a powerful god that we serve and things that you can do 
and the Jesus different sign us, make us aware of the conscious of the fact that you can use us as human agents in actually accomplishing your plan. This is a request in Christ's name.